could to avoid civilian casualties in the operation. The city was captured by the Islamists last summer. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Europe is on its back. Now it's really impacting everything. Economic efficiencies, which means some more job opportunities. More stable investment has been preferred as a clause. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotrahora. The People's Bank of China has cut benchmark interest rates for the second time in three months. Activity in China's factory sector contracted for a second straight month in February. And Indian Finance Minister Arun Jaitley announces a pro-business budget with cuts to corporate taxes. And fears mount that Greece may run out of money in March and will be unable to meet debt repayments. It's been a busy weekend on the mainland and China's economy is in focus. We'll talk about the impact of the latest rate cut with ANZ's senior economist, Raymond Young. First, though, we'll discuss the U.S. and the international outlook with our U.S. correspondent, Barry Wood. And our final guest, U.K. mobile operator Truphone's senior vice president, Alex Ip, brings good news to business travelers. Alex Wong of Ample Capital is back with us as guest host. Good morning, Alex. Good morning. So good news out of China with uh, the second rate cut in three months, but uh, perhaps not so good news for property buyers in Hong Kong. How do you think the markets will react to this this morning? Oh, I think uh, Hong Kong would see another polarized day uh, as usual. So uh, Hong Kong blue chips probably would not uh, react too much to the China rate cut news, but uh, China shares uh, would react and uh, rise a little bit uh, in the early sections. But I think uh, it is it would be an interesting day because last time when we see the cut in our uh, reserve requirement uh, in mainland banks, actually the rally only sustained uh, for for the first probably a couple of hours only. So today it is very interesting to see whether uh, we can hold on to the gain. Okay, so we'll talk a little bit more about Hong Kong and China with our guests uh, later this morning. Uh, In the interim, U.S. stocks posted their best monthly performance since October 2011, and this is despite a lackluster final day's trading. The S&P 500 closed down six points to 2,104, but the index rose 5.5% overall for the month of February. The Dow Jones Industrial Average also put in a good performance for February, up 5.5%. Despite closing the last trading day of the month down 81 points to 18,132. And the tech heavy Nasdaq closed down 24 points to 4,963. President of JMP Securities Mark Lehman says that the February rebound will continue. And I think we saw good earnings reports out of some of the bellwethers for the uh, stock market. We saw Facebook put up a great quarter, we saw Apple put up a great quarter. Some of the real leaders and people that uh, most investors are looking at and they outperform. Apple was up 10 percent since they reported earnings. That's about 80 billion in market cap. So there's a lot of good news uh, that people are expecting. But the kind of market share gains that our tech leaders are making tell you there's more, I think, for this market to go. 
U.S. fourth quarter GDP was revised down to a year-on-year increase of 2.2% from a previous Commerce Department estimate of 2.6%. Despite this, Federal Reserve Vice Chairman Stanley Fisher explains why rates will have to rise. Well, we have two goals, as you know, uh, inflation around 2% and uh, full employment in the at the natural rate of unemployment, as it's called, which is estimated somewhere around 5 to 5.3, 5.5, no exact number. We're at 5.7. So we're very close on unemployment, and inflation is in a situation where it's low because of oil prices, and, but we expect it to go up once uh, this effect wears off, which it should do in a couple of months. So it's about time. Uh, we've gotten used to thinking of a zero interest rate as normal. It's far from normal. Oil prices have also had a good month. Brent crude for delivery in April rose 18% in Feb, the biggest monthly rise for six years. And this follows seven straight months, of course, of losses. Lower prices have induced buyers, uh, excuse me, induced demand from buyers in China and Europe. Low oil prices have been a boon for airlines. CEO of AirAsia, Tony Fernandez, is pleased. Well, we've got a good tailwind behind us. I think the two tailwinds that are really, obviously, at fourth quarter, oil was $120. In the first quarter, we're, we're averaging oil at about 86 and then it, it pans down, and oil for the year, we're forecasting jet oil at $80. So that's a big plus. Indian Finance Minister Arun Jaitley has announced a pro-business budget. In a bid to boost investment, corporate tax will be cut by 25% over the next four years. A new countrywide goods and services tax will be introduced by April next year. And for the first time ever, India will introduce a universal social security scheme designed to help the poor. Other things include spending on infrastructure to be raised by $11.3 billion to boost growth. And GDP is predicted to to grow by 8% over the coming year. Chairman of Microsoft India, Bhaskar Pramanik, was one of the business leaders who was thrilled with Modi, the Modi government's first budget. I think it was balanced. Uh, I think what I liked about it is was that it was vast in scope. And, uh, you know, given the current situation, which is reasonably positive, uh, I think they've been very thoughtful. So there is something for everybody. Uh, there is a very heavy focus on healthcare, on education, on rural. There's a very heavy focus on infrastructure. A lot of, um, you know, um, uh, discussions or a lot of points which he has raised about how they will, you know, uh, sort of create uh, and, you know, grow the infrastructure industry. And I think that that is really very critical because infrastructure drives the rest of the economy also. However, Sumit Sani, the CEO of Renault India, was disappointed that there were not more measures designed to boost manufacturing. I feel that it was much restrained on the manufacturing side, even though government has a very strong and a big vision for making India, uh, and manufacturing uh, is, is a key to it. And uh, the sector I represent, automotive, contributes you know, close to 33% of the manufacturing uh, GDP. We didn't heard any major announcements. And fears mount that uh, Greece may actually run out of money to pay its debts in March. Uh, Heron Dijsselbloem, uh, Dijsselbloem, the chairman of the Eurozone Finance Ministers Group, said that he was prepared to make a first disbursement of the 7.2 billion euros remaining in Athens's uh, 172 billion euro bailout 
as early as this month. Uh, Greece Finance Minister Varfakis is still struggling to prioritize debt repayments. The IMF repayments, uh, of course, we are going to prioritize. We're not going to be the first country (laughs) not to meet our obligations to the IMF. Uh, We shall squeeze blood out of stone if we need to do this on our own, and we shall do it. The ECB repayments are in a different league, and we shall have to uh, determine this in association with our partners and the institutions. It would, be, it would be excellent if uh, we could agree with our partners to smooth over this cash flow hump that we're facing over the next few months for the benefits of everyone. But for us, the prerequisite is that we reboot our policy, economic policy in Greece in conjunction with the institutions and our partners so as to make sure that this uh, financing of the cash flow problem is not done at the expense of long-term sustainability. So let's bring in our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. He joins us on the phone from California. Good morning, Barry. Good morning, Renita. So, Barry, oil prices have rallied 18% in February, the biggest monthly rise in six years. Um, Do you think that after seven months of losses, we've finally turned the corner? Well, it certainly seems, Renita, that we've uh, formed a bottom. You know, there are those people, particularly here in the States, who say that oil is still going lower and that uh, there's a lot of oil in reserve, particularly here in the States. Stocks are high. But I think we're forming a bottom. I think you look at the charts and that's pretty clear. What do you think, Alex? Oh, yeah, I, I, I agree, actually, yeah. I, probably uh, we would not... Uh go too much from here, but I think uh, we definitely uh, probably had from the bottom. Okay, and Barry, the Fed's rate-setting committee meeting comes up uh, on the 17th and 18th of March, but markets still seem to be confused, you know, post uh, Janet Yellen's testimony about whether the Fed will raise rates, or I should say when the Fed will raise rates. You know, on one hand, uh, the Fed says it's data-dependent, but on the other hand, it says it will be patient. So is it time-dependent or data-dependent? What's What's your take? Oh, I think it's uh, mostly data dependent. I'm really glad you played that clip, Renita, of Stanley Fisher, who is, you know, such a respected international economist. And and his words were, I think, prophetic uh, when he said, uh, this is in no way normal to have short-term rates at zero. So that's a pretty strong statement of saying the truth, first of all, and secondly, to telegraph that there has to be a rate coming. All of our discussion is about when, and if it's going to be at the beginning of June, if it's going to be July, I think that's unclear. But it does seem that the market has concluded from Ms. Yellen's testimony this past week that likely to be somewhat later in the North American summer than earlier. So, you know, we still haven't seen so much strength in the economy. As Fisher said, we've got unemployment at 57 If we get a jobs report on Friday that is in line with expectations of another quarter of a million new jobs in the latest month, then, you know, maybe we revise that timetable. That said, Renita, I think the markets really, it's been so long that rates have been zero that any move by the Fed is going to have a significant and unpredictable market impact. Yeah, it's it's a good point you bring up, Barry, um, you know, about, you know, this is, you know, Stanley Fisher says this is by no means normal. I mean, 
have we really begun to think of zero as normal? I mean, are we that short term in our memory? <laughs> no, I don't think we are. But the fact is, there's very little inflation right around the planet. Yes, there's some inflation in Brazil, there's some in South Africa, certainly Russia, Ukraine. But uh, the major economies in international trade are not experiencing high inflation. In fact, just north of you, uh, a long distance in Japan, mm -hmm. I mean, they're still grappling with the deflation problem. So I think that is the reason that uh, rates are low and staying low, and of course the financial crisis of 08. I don't know, in answer to your question, of whether the markets have become so complacent that they actually think that zero is normal. But clearly, if you look at a longer-term chart, and we're talking, you know, a 10-year chart, or a 15-year chart, you'll see that uh, Stan Fisher is absolutely right. No matter where in the world you are, zero is hardly normal. What, what do you think, Alex? What, what's your thoughts? What are you, what's your opinion on this? Oh, of course, as you, it will not be normal. But uh, we got used to this environment for so long. So, and also, uh, inflation is not a problem uh, for so long. So that that's why people are taking it for granted for a little bit. But I think uh, eventually we will get uh, the way back to normal. So. Um, uh, we are preparing for that. And also, actually, if we look at the dollar, it is gaining strength uh, last week. So I think market is starting to prepare for, for, for some hike later on, I think. Okay, so um, Barry, you know, now that we've entered March, the ECB will begin its own bond buying program. What impact do you think this is going to have on the European economy and uh, markets? Well, if you look at what happened in the States and uh, also in Britain, uh, bond buying has uh, boosted equity prices. And uh, I think that trend is already underway. The expectation of QE in, in the Eurozone is, is boosting equity prices. But, you know, here is the ECB meeting, as you reference. It's taking place in Cyprus, you know, because they do once a year in, outside of Frankfurt. So, I mean, <laughs> they're going to be focused on the Greek problem and, of course, the little Cyprus problem, which is such a nearby economy. I think that uh, that uh, clip you also played from Varoufakis is significant because he said, we in Greece will work out a rebooting of our economy in collaboration with our partners. That latter part is new. The Greeks were always going to do it on their own. So, yes, this four-month extension has bought time. As you said with Dijsselbloem, he's got a problem here. He's running out of cash in Greece. I think the Europeans are still in a very fragile situation. All right, Barry. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Barry Wood, our U.S. correspondent, uh, joining us on the phone from California. Well, the People's Bank of China has cut uh, benchmark interest rates by 25 basis points. Uh, One-year lending and deposit rates are lowered to 5.35% and 2.5% uh, and and respectively. Alex, is it significant that this move comes just days before the National People's Congress is due to meet in Beijing? Oh, I think it is sort of expected, but uh, I think... The timing is okay. Uh, it's not too significant because uh, we already expected this, and uh, and I think uh, people probably would 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 see further further news from the from the from the from the NPC, and and I think that that uh, people probably would like to see other other policy front as well.
So activity in China's factory sector contracted for a second straight month in February on unsteady exports and slowing investment. Um, the official purchasing managers index, the PMI, inched up to 49.9 in Feb from January's 49.8. And the numbers are the last official economic data to be released before the opening this week of the annual session of China's legislature, where leaders will announce a growth rate for 2015. Let's bring in our next guest, uh, ANZ Bank's uh, Greater China Senior Economist, Raymond Young. Good morning, Raymond. Good morning. So this rate cut uh, over the weekend, I mean, analysts have uh, been talking about it for, you know, some time, but were you expecting it? Uh, I think it's largely expected. Um, China is actually facing high risks of deflation. Um, I have never seen that China has a CPI for such a low reading, you know, in the past few months. And last month, we saw that CPI barely touched 1%, basically 0.8%, very low. Um, I think it's a correct policy measure to offset some of the pressure uh, brought by the uh, deflationary risk. And, uh, okay, so you, you point out that deflation is a huge problem. What is the answer? I mean, should we be expecting further rate cuts? I, it, I think the, uh, the, the cut during the weekend is a strong piece of evidence um, saying that China's um, central bank's going to embark a new rung of easing cycle. We had that rate cut uh, last, last November, and then we had this uh, RRR cut just a couple of weeks ago. So these uh, interest rate cut over the weekend um, should be um, a another piece of evidence and action for the PBOC to uh, continue the easing cycle. So we're expecting um, after this rate cut, another 25 basis point cut is possible, and the next move will probably be uh, an RRR cut, uh, namely the reserve requirement ratio cut by 50 basis point. And altogether, we just think that this year there is a need for China to lower the reserve requirement ratio by um, 100 basis point. When are you expecting which means that two more cuts will be coming? Yeah. So when are you expecting these uh, next two cuts to happen? <laughs> Timing is always tricky. You know, for an economist, we need to work over the weekend. Usually, the Chinese <laughs> policymaker want to announce do the announcement seven o'clock, six o'clock on Saturday. <laughs> That's the only timing that matters to me. But uh, anyway, um, for us, you know, the the the, mo- the quickest the uh, policy action is the better. Um, but of course, it's very difficult to speculate when the PBOC is going to to act. If you just track the uh, the pattern over the past few months, which means that uh, they will do uh, something, you know, uh, every five to six weeks time, mm. which means that the next move will probably after the MPC or maybe in uh, the middle or the end of April. Hmm. Okay. So, uh, Raymond, how do you think the PBOC is going to deal with downward pressure on the RMB? Will they allow the market to devalue the currency or will the central bank intervene? I think you point to the uh, or the, the right terminology is to use the market to determine the RMB exchange rate or to weaken uh, the R, the RMB exchange rate. To now, of course, that the PBOC still have a card on hand is that uh, they control the daily fixing at nine fifteen every day. Uh, it seems that uh, the overall policy is still trying to maintain the 
basic stability of the RMB exchange, which means that uh, they don't want to see a sharp collapse of the RMB exchange rate or sharp depreciation. But at the same time, the overall policy is to engineer a, a two-way volatility, which means that uh, this year we can expect that the RMB exchange rate will be much more volatile, and the weakest or the uh, lowest point of RMB uh, could surpass uh, what we saw last year, which means that against the U.S. dollar, I won't... Uh, discount or exclude the possibility to break uh, 6.30 this year. All right. Thank you so much uh, for joining us this morning. That is ANZ Banking Group's uh, Greater China Senior Economist, Raymond Young. Let's take a quick look at the numbers for this morning. The Nikkei is up 60 points to 18,858. Australia's uh, ASX 100 is up uh, 36 points to 5,935. And Seoul's Kospi up 10 points to 1,995. In currency, one euro is currently trading at 1.11 US dollars. Uh, The US dollar is worth 119 yen. And one pound sterling will buy you 11 Hong Kong dollars and nine. According to the Employment Amendment Ordinance 2014, eligible male employees with a child born on or after February 27, 2015, can take a total of three days paid paternity leave after giving the required notification to their employers. Paternity leave may be taken at any time during the period from four weeks before the expected date of delivery of the baby to ten weeks after the actual date of birth. Please call 2717-1771 for inquiries. The time is 8.24 a.m. And for some of you frequent travelers, today might be the first working day after your Lunar New Year holiday. This morning, our last guest is here to tell us that it is possible to use one SIM card in many countries when you travel. Let's bring in Phone's Senior Vice President, Alex Ip. Good morning, Alex. Oh, good morning, Anita. Yeah, we understand the pain point of uh, frequent travelers. You know, a lot of business travelers, when they travel, uh, they can either not use uh, roaming uh, or any, they end up, like, you know, as a result, uh, losing productivity. So we're here to solve that problem. Then, and you solve it by providing one SIM card that could be used in many countries. Now, how does that work? Well, you work just like any uh, mobile operator. In fact, TruePhone is the first true global mobile operator. Uh, with our service, the customer can buy a tariff plan. Uh, the plan will cover 66 countries, which is you know 70% of where people usually travel. In Asia, you'll cover China, Singapore, Hong Kong, Japan, you know, all the frequent places. Um, on the SIM card, you get multiple international numbers. You know, we got up to eight. Big countries, UK, US, Australia, plus many others. Uh, when you call somebody in those countries, uh, they can see your phone number. So that means that when they call you back, they can call you on your local number. So it's fantastic in terms of productivity, competitiveness, and convenience, and, and all. I mean, it sounds just like what everybody needs. It's certainly, what just what I need. What do you think, Alex? Oh yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> it, it suits everybody, actually. Yeah. yeah, my my Lunar New Year present. Okay, so uh, Alex, are people willing to pay for such a service, given that they can make all of these international phone calls for free with uh, voice over IP? You know, like like Skype or Viber, or you know, simply with their employer's you know corporate three G plan. Oh no, I think uh, it. 
it would be more convenient, actually, a little bit more convenient. And and people, I think business people would uh, would be willing to pay for this, actually, uh, because uh, that would uh, would make it more more convenient because you don't have to um, connect into the data um, or Wi-Fi, actually. So um, I think that would be uh, easier as well. Alex, yeah. the other all, Alex, do you agree? Yeah, all, all the Wi-Fi-based servers uh, are inherently uh, non-ubiquitous because, you know, you need to have a Wi-Fi network. There's also the issue with quality. That means that, like, you know, a lot of times uh, when you make calls on the Wi-Fi or on any network, uh, it all depends on the quality of the provider. Um, you know, traditional mobile providers like ourselves uh, tend to provide much, much better quality. And uh, how much are your calls and what do your data plans look like? Well, our charges basically are local pricing, you know. So when you are in traditional sense roaming, uh, but we're actually charging you, you know, below a Hong Kong dollar per megabyte or, or per minute. So this is not roaming anymore. So the 90 plus percent saving. And so when you travel around the world um, and you're using it in different places, so it's it's also local to that place or local to Hong Kong? Well, a simple way of thinking about it is the customers and subscribe a tariff plan from Truefone that cover 66 countries. Uh, and that plan, therefore, is like your local plan, but it covers 66 countries. Like, uh, you know, charge you at the local rate, like you in Hong Kong. You can use it in Hong Kong, you can use it in the U.S., anywhere you like. So the local rate in the country that you're calling from, is that is that right? No, it's local rate uh, on that plan. So you buy a plan from Hong Kong, you'll yeah. be the local rate uh, according to the plan in Hong Kong. I see, I see. Okay, and so what about things like reception and network stability? Well, we, we have a great partnership with many, many operators around the world, mobile operators. So when you go to those countries, you use their network. Um, like, for example, in the UK, we use uh, Vodafone UK. Uh, so, therefore, it's one of the biggest networks. So, these are all tier one operators. And when did you start the company? How long has it taken to sort of get it to where it is today? Well, the company has its root in 2006. But in the last two, three years, we've been ramping up our business uh, around the world. Uh, so, therefore, really, it's a very, very, very young company. Uh, we only started a few years ago. And where can we find out more? Because needless to say, you know, I certainly want to get there and investigate this immediately. Well, we tend to approach the business uh, customers directly, but uh, there's a phone line, 8102-2102. Uh, uh, 8101-2102. People can call up, uh, but we can always visit and talk to uh, customers directly. Uh, could you repeat that? That's 8101-2102. Yeah. And that is the, the retail customer. Well, that's uh, the hotline that people can just call up. Okay, yeah. wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, that is Alex Ip, and he is a Senior Vice President for the Asia-Pacific at Truefone. Thank you, Anita. Uh, thank you. So here we are at uh, the end of the show. Let's take a quick look at the numbers. The Nikkei is up 112 points uh, to 18,910. Australia's uh, ASX index is up uh, 32 points to 5,931. And Seoul's Cosby up 9 points to 1,994. Gold is currently valued at $1,215 per ounce and Brent crude oil at $62.20. So, uh, Alex, here we are just... Uh, a few seconds until the end of the show. What should we be looking out for the rest of this week? Oh, of course, the U.S. unemployment data this week. And uh, I think uh, today uh, we probably would, would have an interesting day. And I think uh, people probably would need to avoid uh, local blue chips but uh, focus on China. 
focus on China it is. Yeah. All right. Thank you for your uh, continuous wisdom. That is Alex Wong, and he is a uh, managing uh, director at Ample Capital, our regular Monday host on Money for Nothing. And I'm Renita Malhotra-Hora, wrapping up for the show. A quick look at the weather forecast for today. It'll be mainly cloudy with a maximum temperature of around 19 degrees Celsius, one or two light rain patches later on. Currently, the temperature is 17 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 83%. Time for the half-hour news with Sam Butler. The Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has arrived in the United States to give a controversial speech to Congress about his opposition to a possible nuclear deal being negotiated with Iran. The event, which will take place tomorrow, has led to a cooling off of relations between Israel and the White House. The BBC's Naomi Grimley is in Washington. Relations are at an all-time low between Benjamin Netanyahu and the White House. He argues US-led talks with Iran give the country too much leeway to carry on enriching uranium for nuclear weapons. President Obama believes diplomacy backed up by independent monitoring is the best way to stop Iran acquiring a nuclear bomb. On top of that, the White House is annoyed it was kept in the dark when the Israeli Prime Minister accepted the invitation to come to Washington from Republican leaders in Congress, especially with the Israeli elections just days away. The murdered critic of the Kremlin, Boris Nemtsov, has been honoured by tens of thousands of people who marched through the Russian capital, Moscow. The protesters walked in the rain past the spot on a bridge near the Kremlin where Mr Nemtsov was gunned down on Friday. The former Prime Minister, Mikhail Kasayanov, was at the march. He hopes Mr Nemtsov's murder will cause Russia to change. No, to, 